Today's uh, title um, is called Faith or Nothingness, and I'm going to go right into it. We'll do the offering at the end. We're going to be in the Old Testament um, today, 2 Kings chapter 4. You guys feel like reading today? Yeah, we stand and read the word together. 2 Kings, we're going to be reading from verses, um, chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. And if you'd rather read your Bible, we're in the, using the ESV. Right, here we go. Now, the wife of Elijah, your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know the creditor has come to take my two children to be his slave. And Elisha said to her, what shall I do for you? Tell me, what have you in the house? And she said, your servant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. Then he said, go out, borrow vessels, empty vessels and not too few. Then go in and shut the door behind yourself and your sons and pour into all these vessels. And when one is full, set it aside. So she went from him and shut the door behind herself and her sons. And as she poured, they brought the vessels to her. When the vessels were full, she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there is not another. Then the oil stopped flowing. She came and told the man of God, and he said, Go, sell the oil, and pay your debts, and you and your sons can live. Lord, I pray, God, as we go through the rest of the service, that you open our hearts to receive all that you have to say in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, one of the, oh, am I too high over here? One of the most uh, uh, frustrating things that any family member can experience is to find themselves under a mountain of debt with no way to escape it, no way to repay it. Um, going to assume, if you're listening, that none of us have experienced uh, um, the story or the financial crisis of this woman that we've just read about, um, where she's um, desperate for help. Um, you could almost hear the emotion and desperation in our voice, and I know we didn't read it like poetry. But the Bible tells us that she cried. She cried to Elisha and said, my husband is dead and the creditor is come to take my two sons. So she's experiencing the pressure of her grief and the intensity of her appeal to the prophet. Um, sometimes God permits us to be brought, in, brought low in our circumstances. This is where she was, her grief wasn't a chastisement from God um, because of her sin. Her husband was simply dead. Now, when the woman's husband um, died, he didn't leave her with any money. There's no life insurance for her or a full bank account. And the Mosaic law prohibited widows from declaring bankruptcy. So you couldn't go file your chapter 11, 13, whatever numbers they have now. So when a woman's husband died, it felt like a death sentence for the widow because the means of income dried up when her husband's dead. Sometimes when 
individuals face uncertainty, um, they exhaust personal solutions, um, and then their last resort is to seek godly wisdom. That's what we see in our text. But you can't really blame um, this mother if she's exploring other options because she's thinking about the well-being and the future of her two sons. Now, if she gets a chance to raise them by herself, they might have a chance. Now, I was raised by uh, my sisters because my father died when I was young, and my biological mom, I've shared a story, she dropped me off at her doorstep, at my sister's doorstep, and walked away when I was two. So I understand um, the difficulty in appreciating motherhood. But I think my sisters did an okay job raising me, right? Okay. Ask my wife just in case you guys didn't agree. So, so I get it. If, if you give a mother a chance, she'll make do with what she has to, you know, to make sure her children survive. The problem is that the creditors are coming to take her sons and remove the possibility of them having a future. See, that's not the future any parent has for their child, being sold into slavery to pay their bills. I mean, how would you like it if you, you know, get older at 18 and say, hey, all the bills that I racked up when I was, you know, did my own thing, you got it. That's not what this parent, you know, and, you know just think about in her future. She's saying, I don't want you to live your life taking care of my bills. I want to take care of you. But if the creditors are coming, I won't have that opportunity to raise you. So this woman sought wisdom from God through the prophet Elisha. But her expectation for God's provision was limited at first. Now, we're all guilty at some point in our lives of waiting until we believe there's nothing left to offer. Then we see God and we expect immediate results. You guys ever done that before? I know I have. And then if God doesn't respond the way we desire, then God is unfair or he's unjust. Why me? See, our human tendency is to strategically exhaust every angle before seeking God. If it's mathematically possible, we have it under control. See, when Elisha asked in verse 2, what have you in the house? The woman responds, nothing except a jar of oil. In other words, I've emptied my bank account. I've emptied my retirement fund. I've sold everything that I have inside the house. There's nothing left. And don't ask me if I'm sure. That's one of the things that, that drive my, my wife crazy is when she can't find something and call one of the boys to come in like, or Tyler or Brandon, they come in. Can you help me find this? And they're like, where did you last put it? She's like, if I know, I wouldn't be asking you, right? So this woman, she's like, I've done everything that I can. So now I'm asking you. So there will be times, you know, in life when you feel like you have nothing left to offer. You might be feeling like that right now. You've exhausted your energy trying to repair a broken relationship. You've applied to every job that was hiring. You've exhausted all of you, and you have nothing left to offer. 
not even tears. You might feel like that tomorrow. And it's never easy, even acknowledging that you can experience nothingness can be painful. But our nothingness can be a discovery of God's presence with us. There's always something left. How? God is always present in our nothingness. Psalm 46 verse 1 says that God is a very present help in what? In trouble, right? Times of need. A jar of oil, the nothingness in our circumstance is more than enough for God to demonstrate his power. I thought about this idea of nothingness in um, something practical in our, in our lives. Have you ever noticed how many of us try to avoid walking around with cash? You guys like that? You hate walking with cash? Hate cash, right? And yet there's always some coin that's lying around inside your home. You're like, where did this coin come from? Now hold on to that thought for a second. Elisha did something that is a great leadership lesson for all of us. He took responsibility and empowered the woman to also take responsibility. That's what we do as leaders. Leaders take responsibility and empower others to take responsibility. Elisha asked two questions to accomplish this. The first question had to do with his responsibility as a leader. What shall I do for you? So Elisha is acknowledging that this woman is trusting him to do something as a leader. The second question had to do with her responsibility. What have you in this house? In other words, what do you already have that God can use? Now, talk about walking around with cash. And I shared years ago um, of how, just way before I got married, I shared with you guys, that I had no resources in, you know, I didn't like walking around with cash and got to the lowest point right before I became homeless. And I remember finding 399 pennies in my home. Like, where did they come from, right? And even though I couldn't find the last penny to make $4, but just think about that, not walking around cash, and I found all those pennies inside my home. Elisha says, I know you want me to do something for you as a leader. That's why you came to me saying, I'm the prophet. But are you willing to do what it takes? See, these are two important questions to ask when someone solicits our help. What can I do for you? And what are you willing to do for yourself? And then we must listen closely to the response because the woman said, I have nothing except for a little oil. Although this woman didn't believe she had enough to pay the creditors, she gave a clue that there might be something she's overlooking in our home because it seems insignificant. I have some oil. In my case, I don't have money, but I have some pennies. In other words, if I had more of this, if I had more of this oil, then life would be okay. I would probably be all right. When life gets difficult for us, we must choose faith over the nothingness that we see. This woman had a limited view. I have nothing. Well, maybe a little oil. 
This was the same response Jesse gave to the prophet when Israel needed a king. Remember the story? Came and they said, bring all your sons. Let's see who will be the next king. All the sons came and Jesse says, these are all my sons. And the prophet went through and says, no, there has to be somebody else. And Jesse said, well, these are all the sons except the other one that's not like these. The other one's over there taking care of the sheep. He, you know, he's insignificant. Leave him in the fields with the sheep. But we learn how David became king and through his lineage, Christ is born. Let me remind you of what you're experiencing in your life, that whatever you have is more than enough for God to meet your needs, whatever it is. A statement like this can seem ridiculous. For example, if your rent is $2,000 and all you see is $1,500, how can you say it's more than enough? The totality of our life is framed by faith. We're trusting that in our submission to God, he'll always take care of us. That's what God did. He took care of this family. Now, I just gave you an overview of the story, but let's break this story apart even more. Let me start by saying that God will always send someone who is willing to listen to our concerns. I'm going to ask a question. Don't raise your hand just in case you're here. Do we have any complainers in the house? You know, complainers always love to get someone to listen to them. And God will always send someone to listen to complainers. Second Kings 4 starts off with this woman sharing her concerns with Elisha. And we learn four things in the first verse of the story. The first thing we learn is that there was a loss of hope in her family. Verse 1 says, the woman cried to Elisha. The word cried means to moan, to weep uncontrollably. This word identifies the sound of a broken heart. This woman comes to the man of God at the lowest moment in her life. She is in desperate need. The next thing we learn is that there was death in her family. She was married to one of the sons of the prophets. Um, there were, these were the men who were being trained um, to become prophets, to become preachers in Israel. And he was serving under Elisha. Um, her husband, her friend, her provider, her protector had been taken away by death. She's heartbroken. And there was unpaid bills in her family. Since her husband is dead, she cannot pay her bills. And as a result, the creditors are coming to enslave her sons so they can actually work off the debt that she owed. So she has been deprived of her husband and now she's on the verge of losing her sons. The thing we also see is that there was commitment to God within her family. In spite of all her problems, she still held firm in her faith. Now, we don't find this woman borrowing money to pay her bills because that would have been a temporary solution. Um, in her desperation, she turns to the prophet of God. She turns to him for help. Elisha was God's mouthpiece on, her, on earth. He was her best hope. She reminds Elisha that her husband feared the Lord. She wants to know, 
based on her commitment to God and based on the commitment of her husband or previous husband, what do you believe is possible for God to do? So when you experience a low point in your life, everything and everyone seem to suggest that God doesn't care or he doesn't see what's happening. But Proverbs 15 verse 3 says, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. So God sees everything that we're experiencing. So while our problems may seem overwhelming, they create opportunities for us to see the power of God at work in our lives, which leads to another revelation from our text. The existence of a crisis causes us to evaluate our lives. The existence of a crisis causes us to evaluate our lives. Elijah could have easily said, I'm sorry to hear about your loss. Go home and fast and pray and see what happens next. I mean, that's typical what we do sometimes, right? Someone says, I have this great need. Oh, I'm so sorry to hear. I'll be praying for you. You could have done the churchy thing, right? But God loves to involve us in the process of allowing us to admit how much we need him. Elisha asked the woman, what do you need? And then, what do you have? So God uses these moments to expand our faith by teaching us trust, humility, and obedience. This widow was made to see the size of her need was great, but also the smallness of her resources, nothing except some oil. Often God will use trials and unpleasant circumstances to bring us to the place where we can honestly see our need and our own inability to meet it. So God desires for us to expand our faith in his ability to meet our needs. That's what he does. See, the more we demonstrate our dependence in ourselves and our strategic approach, the more we force God out of the equation. It's easy for us to just go through. I'm very strategic. I know that. I plan things from top to bottom. But the more we keep doing this, is the more we're saying, God, I don't need you. I could take care of it myself. Here's how God expands our faith. God expands our faith personally. If you remember the story of Moses, Moses being called to lead the Israelites in Exodus chapter 4, if you want to read it, Moses had all kinds of excuses. God, maybe I'm not the right leader. Or, God, I, I stutter. I don't, you know, have good speech. And what if they don't believe me? All these responses. God asked one question. What's in your hand? And if you remember when they got to the Red Sea and they saw all this water there, they're saying, well, how do we cross? Moses, what do you have in your hand? A staff. There's always something in our hand. If you remember with, with, with Joshua and, and the children are crossing over to get to the promised land and they get in there and God is saying, well, what do you have? And, and as they step in the water, it parted. God is always wanting us to see that because of him, we have everything needed for a miracle. See, like many of us, this woman couldn't see it because her circumstances seemed overwhelming. Have you ever had a circumstance that clouded your faith? 
Yes? No? Maybe it's, you know, you get into school and, you know, you're smart enough to get in but have no clue how to pay the tuition. That happened to me before. Did you guys, that happened to you before? No? When I was going to Burke Lee College of Music in Boston, had all the skill set, got into school, then turn around and say, oh, tuition is going to be $30,000 a semester. Whoa! Didn't see that coming. But God, you know, wants us to know that if we have faith, you can do the impossible. Elisha asked, what have you in the house? And her answer in verse 2 of chapter 4, your servant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. This little flask of oil had sat in the house unused since her husband's death. That little insignificant flask of oil was the answer to her to her prayers. See, we look at our problems and they seem so large. We look at our possessions and they seem so small, yet we always fail to factor God in the equation. So God often places us in these situations where our faith in him must be expanded. Elisha's question, it caused this woman to take stock of her nothing less, or nothingness, I should say. See, it's easy, and it comes naturally for us to look at our abundance. See, when we have a lot of money in the bank, oh, I got $70,000 in my bank account. I have, you know, a half a million dollars in my 401k. But when you have limited resources, when it's not enough to cover what you need, you don't want to count it, right? You know, try not to look in your bank account. It's okay, I know you might have enough. I've been there. So when you have limited resources, taking stock can be painful. You don't quite know what you have because it's not enough to cover it. We avoid taking stock of this. Each week we have the welcome team. They you know, give us a data, let us know how many people we have in our services. Four years to the date, maybe give and take a day or two, I was standing right here preaching because it was my interview weekend, you know, I was here, went through, had about 17 interviews that weekend. We met a lot of people. Right, Jacinta? <laughs> we had so many meetings, kind of like a, we had breakfast meeting, we had coffee meeting, we had lunch meeting, boba meeting, dinner meeting. Now we had large group. It was a lot of interviews. But on the Sunday when I stood here, we had 180 people in the first service and 148 people in the second service. My family moved here June 29th of that year, and by the time we got to September 8th, we had 435 people in service. See, I was pastoring, I was you know, over the men, women's ministry, young adults, discipleship. Then I became the executive pastor. This means I was constantly working with every area of ministry within our church, college, young adult, the list goes on. My wife and I, we used to visit different small groups, you know, when our schedules permit. We go to the co-ed together, or so I go to the men, she goes to the women. The number that I'm giving you, that data I gave you, are not just numbers. 
those are 435 relationships. 370 relationships. I was reflecting on our journey this you know, past year of us as a church pursuing what God desires for this church. And I received a text. I a former member um, who's been gone for about two years texted me that our church made a tremendous impact on their lives and that I was a part of it. The invitation was for me to attend an upcoming event. Remember the point uh, that I made last week. The transformation in our lives is an invitation for others to experience Jesus. Now, I don't know why this person left, but when they did, they carried the impact that this church made on their lives. This person was inviting me to their baptism. When I look in this room, I can choose to see nothingness, or I can allow this season to be an opportunity to discover the things or the people that are underutilized in this church. See, we didn't relocate our office as a random act. We discovered that our resources could be utilized in a more effective way. We didn't have Mimi become a pastor because she's my wife. It's a realization that a credentialed pastor with a doctoral degree from a seminary was sitting in the midst being underutilized. Now, I try to ensure that she's not burnt out because sometimes she forgets she's a volunteer, like this morning. The reason we're looking for many of you to serve in critical areas of our church is not because we're desperate. Those who are close to me know that my motto is simple. If we don't have leaders, we just won't do certain things. Common sense, right? The reason we pursue your involvement is because we're discovering that many of you are being burnt out or have been burnt out for years while others are underutilized. We believe the answer for what we need is in this church. You agree? You're like, no. Even when something seems small, it can be useful. When we use what we have, it can release us from anxiety and expand our faith. The widow had some oil, and realizing that she could utilize that oil was the beginning of positive change for her and her family. See, sometimes that's all a person needs to know. Something in their life has a purpose. Let God show you what your oil is. Maybe it's a hidden talent, a desire to serve. Let God show you what your oil is and how to use it in a way that glorifies his name. So God expands our faith personally. God expands our faith publicly. In verse 3, the widow is told to go to all her neighbor. We used a fancy word last week. Huh? Oikos. Yes. Go to your oikos. Borrow all the empty vessels that you can. 
Now, this is a strange command. Imagine trying to borrow some jars from your neighbors without an explanation that makes sense. We don't always have an explanation as to why we do the things that we do. We have faith that God is commanding us to do something, and we do it. But imagine going to your neighbor and saying, can you lend me your jars? Why? Well, the prophet told me to get these empty jars and just lay them in my house. No, I'm not giving you my jar. It just doesn't make sense. I'm here to admit that I won't have all the answers in the moment that you ask them. I'm just trusting what God is saying. It's going to require this kind of a trust, right? As a church, our faith journey speaks volumes to those who are witnessing what God is doing through us. Your life is always on display for others to see. We're all a work in progress. See, our life is that billboard that's advertising, grace is here. If you knew me five years ago, grace is here. Blessing is here and the power of God is here in this church. So God expands our faith personally. He expands our faith publicly and God expands our faith privately. Faith expanded in the heart of this widow. She obeyed God through the prophet, borrowed this, you know, these jars, and she and her sons, they shut themselves in the house and trusted God to do what he had promised to do. Now, I want again to imagine this scene. There is this widow that's reflecting on who she lost, her husband, this relationship. And there she is with her sons, and all those empty jars are sitting all over the house. Imagine that scene. Imagine she picks up this flask of oil. One of her sons say, Mom, what are you doing with all that oil? Just a little bit. What are you doing with that? Why did you have us borrow these jars from our neighbors to lay them all over the floor? And she simply responds, Boys, I don't have an answer for you, but I believe God is about to do something miraculous in our home. Dad didn't leave us with much, but he left us with this flask of oil. The prophet believes we have more than enough for God to meet our needs. And with that simple acknowledgement of God's provision and sovereignty, they hand her the first empty vessel, and she fills it with oil. And she fills up one after another. Oil just keep pouring out of this small flask until every vessel was filled. Notice the principle of God in this story. In order to make something out of nothing, God invites us to partner with our community. Imagine if we all determined that the reason God is providing these opportunities for us as a church is to thank him in advance for those who will come to know him through this church. Imagine gathering week after week thanking God for the salvation of people you don't know, these new relationships to discover and explore. But all we see is the empty seat next to us. Some might think it's foolish, but imagine the testimony in the end. I'm not picking on you, but I'm going to call you again, Jacinta. I remember, and the reason why I pick around, it's, it's you, when you see, I mean, you guys know I like to honor people all the time, but the reason I call her name is I'm a witness 
to her going to upper room several Friday mornings by herself praying that God will move through this church. Whether it's bright or dark. I remember one Friday morning I was sitting outside because it was so dark. I'm like, I'm not going to leave here. You know, we had a problem with the call box and she got in. I'm like, I'm going to sit right here just to make sure no one goes in, that she's safe. So I stayed outside in my car and she finished and then she rushed to work right after. See, some would consider that to be foolish. Why are you getting out of your bed early in the morning praying by yourself? You could just stay home and pray. Why are you having all these empty vessels inside with a flask of oil that's not enough to even fill a one? In our story, when that day ended, there was a mother and her sons who had learned that God was all-powerful and able to meet every need. So God meets our need in a place of total dependence on him. So when God comes through for his people, the work he does might be public, but it's widely known, but in our hearts. The greatest work of God's provision and sovereignty is in the heart of each believer. When God moves in power, we receive a lesson in faith that can never be taken away. Our faith is expanded to trust God even more. When the Apostle Paul was on the road to Damascus, he says this in Acts 9 and verse 5. And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But after several experiences with God, Paul, had, he changed his view, Ephesians 3 verses 20 to 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work where? Within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. What made the difference? Paul's faith had been expanded after experiencing Jesus in his life. He was shipwrecked. We see how he was imprisoned and prayed and the angel of the Lord came and released him. So he's seen these things. We often quote that faith is what? The substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. We could also say that faith is what you do when the numbers don't add up. When you guys say the math is not math then. Faith causes us to trust God by doing our part and leaving the rest up to him. When Pastor Mimi and I, when we got married, neither one of us had our own place. We didn't have a traditional job. We didn't have rings. Two weeks before we got married, I received a job offer to start that day. It literally went like this. Garth, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm home. Why aren't you here for a teacher's meeting? We're going to hire you. Okay, and I got dressed and went to work. That's literally how that happened. I'd volunteered all summer, and they needed a teacher. So I went and became the music teacher and the math teacher. That's how that happened. So I used uh, you know, my first paycheck to buy my ring. <laughs> I proposed to her the week before we got married. You know, See, I didn't have the resources. All we had was God's word that he'd take care of us. Six days before we got married, we signed the lease to a condo and received the keys before we even paid our deposit. 
That was on a Friday. By the time we got to church that Sunday, the pastor said, hey, come to, 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 to our house for dinner, and then said, we felt led by giving you this money, which was the deposit that we needed. So after that moment, time after time, we've been seeing miracles after miracles in our lives. That's just how it's been. All we had is just God's word. According to our story, the woman's oil supply flowed and stopped according to her needs, not her anxieties. See, God is interested in meeting our needs and not the discomfort that we feel. See, as we move forward as a church, may we have this grace to be at peace with our limitations and trust God with the unknown. Be at peace with our limitations and trust God with the unknown. May we do only that which we can and trust in God's provision and faithfulness. Now I want to close by offering a recap of some lessons that we observed through the story of this mother. The mother began that day with nothing, but ended it with everything. She ended not with just a little, but if you read through the scriptures, it says that she had more than enough to take care of the bills and to allow her sons to have a future. So we see the lesson of God's provision. Elisha promised that God would fill the vessels in verse 4, and he did. God will keep all his promises to you. We also see the limit of God's provision. The oil flowed until the vessels ran out, which means there was no limit on the amount of oil. The only limit was on the number of vessels. See, God stands ready to give us all that we're willing to make room for in our lives. If we make room in our lives, God is willing to fill it. But if we don't give God enough space, then we're going to limit our own potential. So what are you willing to make room for in your life? What are you willing to make room for in this church? We also learn about the extent of God's provision. When the day was done, there was enough oil in the vessels. Of course, the neighbors would see all that was done. God's supply will always exceed our expectation. That's just how he works. God is able to do more than we can imagine if we give him the opportunity. See, it's important that we learn to release control. Release control. We need total dependence on God. Get your vessels to God and allow him to fill them up. Stop trying to figure out every detail. It's okay not to know things. It's okay to graduate with a degree and not know where you're going to get the job. It's okay. It's okay to know that your lease is ending and not quite sure where you're going to live next. I've been there. It's okay to start that business because God impressed on your heart. It's okay to give all that you have to somebody else. Trusting God. Trusting God that your potential is more than you can see. Is it possible that you're overextending yourself to the point of burnout in one area to mask the insecurity in another area? And I'm not just limiting this to church stuff. 
Maybe you're working too much overtime to maintain a lifestyle that you don't need. Maybe you're avoiding that phone call because there's a conversation that you're not wanting to have. Maybe you've been pretending you're doing well in school because everyone seems so intelligent around you and it pains you to ask for help. God is wanting you to release control and trust in him to give all that you have just to show you that what you have is more than enough. Invite the worship team to come forward. We've all been in this place where we're thinking that I'm not qualified for a certain job. Listen, there's some jobs that I know I wasn't qualified for. I still applied. That's just how it is. I'm going to trust what God's going to do. Just leave it alone. Why are you applying for this? Hey, all they can do is say no. You know, I was doing school and, of course, having my doctorate and all that stuff, and I got to one class that I just didn't understand. I know I'm pretty smart, but I just didn't get it. I went to tutoring. Maybe you're sitting around and you're saying, you know, God's been impressing me on my heart to, to do worship. But no, I can't be on that stage. We all have something that might seem insignificant, but God is saying it's more than enough to accomplish what I desire in your life. If you're here, you don't have a relationship with Jesus. One of the things that often stop us from even serving God is that we feel that we have to fix ourselves. And even sometimes we, you know, we come to church time after time thinking that something is going to change within us, and it doesn't happen that way. But God is always saying, I am the one that will change you. And maybe you are here and you're a Christian, you're a believer, you're serving God, but you still hold on to control controlling the narrative. God is wanting us to release everything over to him. Give God the little and let him fill those empty jars. Fill those empty spaces in your life. Let him, you know, just give God that, that the, the career that you're trying to do, just give God the little. Give it over to him and let him fill those spaces in. I want you to think about just the one thing in your life that might be insignificant in your eyes. And when you've had that thing, I'm going to pray for us. Take a moment to think about that one thing. Maybe it's more, but think about something that's insignificant in your eyes. We all have that one thing that we think it's not a big deal. We all have that, that one thing. Now I want to pray for us. Lord, I first want to pray for the one that might be watching or be here that doesn't have a relationship with you. I pray, God, that um, this story can be of some use in knowing that we can't control everything and God doesn't need us to control everything either. He just wants us to give the little over. So I pray, God, that the one that's struggling to release control, that you will just touch their hearts and allow them to see you in the midst and that they'll draw closer to you, that you save them, God, from their sins. Forgive them, Lord Jesus. But I also pray for all of us here, God, 
um, that there's something in our lives that we might just believe is insignificant. It's not, a much, it's not much to make an impact, God. Or we learn from this story that all this mother had was a little oil. She had a need that was great. She had a trouble in her lives, God. She had trouble seeing that her two sons are going to be taken away, but she trusts that the little oil that she had, because of your word, she was trusting that you can do something supernatural with it. And the word tells us that you did. So for all of us here, God, we're trusting you, God, that the thing in our, in our lives that we seem insignificant, that you can use it for your purpose, God, to make a difference in someone's life. Maybe making a difference in our own family, God. So I pray, God, that you take this litter that we have, and that you would use it for your glory. And that, God, when we come through on the other side, God, that it will be a testimony for, for others who are seeing the transformation in our lives. So, God, I pray that you just honor this what we have, this litter that we have, and we're giving it over to you. We're trusting you right now. In Jesus' name, amen.